1: Hello and welcome to the Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals
0: everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson and I'm Kate Watson Smythe. Now, before we begin, we are delighted to welcome back to the show our sponsors, Natural Matt. Natural Mat make beds and mattresses by hand in Devon using natural, organic and renewable materials with absolutely zero chemicals, synthetics or
1: glues. Sustainability has been at the heart of Natural Mat since day one and they recently became the first B Corp certified bed and mattress company in the UK.
0: All their raw materials come from natural renewable sources. Their Devon workshop is powered by the solar panels on the roof and they deliver their mattresses in reusable duffel bags which has saved thousands of kilos of plastic packaging so far.
1: Then there is their Mattress for Life initiative which ensures that none of their mattresses ever go to landfill instead you can choose to refurbish recycle or donate your mattress when the time comes
0: to learn more about natural mats organic beds and mattresses head to their website at naturalmat.co.uk or visit one of their showrooms in london nutsford devon and the cotswolds
1: and listeners of the great indoors can receive 10 percent off their first order with natural mat either online in store or over the phone by using the code the Great Indoors, which is valid until the thirtieth of April, twenty twenty-four. Now, what do we have today? Spring will soon be springing. The days are getting longer and the nights are getting warmer. So, where are we at? Well, do you know what? I've got daffodils in my garden already. Quite a few of them.
0: I don't know if I need to worry about that now. <laughs> Shouldn't we still be at snowdrops?
1: <laughs> but it's also the time of year when thoughts turn to a bit of an interiors refresh. So, you know, let's get into our monthly style surgery, shall we? Because it's a packed show today with questions ranging from how to decorate that tricky middle room to where to start with a barn conversion. But actually, first up, we've had a
0: question from Alice just for you, Sophie. So get ready for this. Because I don't know if you've read this script in advance, so this, you know, this may throw you. <laughs> this is the test, testing, testing. Sophie's homework. <laughs> she writes all this cold weather and the cost of heating, or as my son said the other day, cosy lives. Cost of living crisis. <laughs> cosy Co- lives. Cozy lives.
1: <laughs> That's too good. <laughs> oh, OMG, I am so going to use that somewhere today. have happy
0: there. <laughs> the cold weather and the cosy lives has reminded me that Sophie had some thermal wallpaper fitted in her bedroom last year. It would be good to know if it has made a difference and if she thinks it's worth doing. Good question, Alice. We do want to know the answer to this. And I'm going to bet that Sophie hasn't got the answer.
1: I have got the answer. I have got the answer. So, yes, Alice is right. When we were redecorating last spring, actually, it was, I had the idea to put on a thermal lining paper so this is a wallpaper that you put on underneath your decorative paper or indeed you can paint on top of it too and i got the idea from friend of the pod michelle Gunderhin, because she'd been doing it in her house and sharing on instagram and i thought well if michelle Gunderhin thinks it's a good idea it must be a great idea <laughs> so i went off and i bought it's called Rockwall thermal liner i think it's like an anaglypta product and it's re- it's really quite thick It can be done as a DIY project, but I did get a professional wallpaper hanger to hang it and he said it wasn't that easy. So I'm just putting it out there. It is quite tricky stuff. So is it
0: like cardboard as opposed to, because lining paper is quite thick. That's the point of it, isn't it? It's to smooth over the lumps and bumps. No, it's much thicker. It's like the
1: thickness of card. Yeah, it is. Right. So it's not very bendy. No, it's really floppy. It's really floppy, but you need some really big chunky scissors to cut it. And obviously, patching it. I think you get into a lot of difficulty around window reveals and things like that, because it's, um, it's much stiffer than a regular paper. Anyway... Poor old Chris, lovely Chris Jones, my decorator. Huffing and puffing he was because I, I kind of decided to do this last minute as well. So he wasn't best pleased with me, but he's an amazing decorator and he hung this paper. And then I put my decorative Harlequin wallpaper on top so you don't even see it. It does give the walls a very slight, barely detectable, spongy feel because your wall is no longer rock hard plaster. It's a soft feel. I don't know if I mind that spongy wall. Yeah it's a slightly spongy wall. It's not like the polystyrene liners that I had as a kid. I remember having a polystyrene thermal liner in my bedroom as a kid and I used to really enjoy picking holes in that. It's, <laughs> not, it's not that. And we put it in our guest bedroom which is at the north end of the house and it's on a corner. Oh my husband's got a name for that. What's it called? It's called cold bridging. That's it. Because he says, oh, yeah, it's cold bridging. So we don't have cavity wall insulation in our old farmhouse. So we were struggling with black mould and damp in that room. And the rock wall says that it helps with that. It helps with bl- if you get black spots in a room, if you get mould, if you get damp from, obviously not from leaking roofs or something else because something completely different, but from this cold bridging problem. Then the rock wall promises on its packaging that it will help. And it has. I've got no mould or anything. Interestingly, in this room, I took the radiator off to decorate, and I want to put a nice designer type radiator back in, which I haven't got round to yet. So actually, it's lasted all winter without a radiator in it. And and oh, that's
0: really interesting. Mm. So you've had so you've put the thermal wallpaper, and you have no heating in there. Now, obviously, it's your guest room, so you're not in there very often. But well,
1: people have lots of people have been staying. We had people all over Christmas. I have somebody here every month staying in there. I would say. And are they polite, or are they sleeping with their socks no, on? No, it's fine. <laughs> Well, we keep upstairs. We keep our house at sixteen degrees upstairs because you know cosy Livy. So we cosy lives, uh, cosy lives, cosy lives. We put all our thermostats down. So we're eighteen downstairs, sixteen upstairs. So you know it's bracing in the mornings. Oh, and then we put it in our bedroom as well. And I would say it has improved. The feeling of dampness, but the other thing that I've done quite religiously is we have a dehumidifier on our landing, and I give that a good blast every day to try and get the condensation out the air. Because the other problem you've got, obviously, with showers and bathroom, and sometimes we dry our bed linen on the landing, is if you've got wet moisture in the air, then that sticks to your walls, and then that can grow into black spot mold and stuff. So the, the the I did a lot of research on YouTube with this the kind of the main thing is to get the moisture out of the air and do you know what causes the most moisture in our homes it's not going to be the showering is it that you
0: expect is it going to be something really gross like sweating it's
1: breathing Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Less <laughs> gross than sweating. <laughs> Breathing. And then I think cooking. I hadn't even thought of cooking, but obviously, you know, cooking creates lots of moisture. It's well, so a lot of steam. And then the it? obvious yeah. is the is the sharing. So there we go. I, Alice, I'm a fan. I'm one year in. We're well, not even quite a year yet, but we've done a good winter with our wall rock thermal walls. And I'm glad I did it. And if I come to decorate any more rooms, I will be applying it. There we go. Interesting. Right. Well, you passed that. Sophie's done her homework. Now, on the
0: actual questions, first up, we have Charlotte, who has a beautiful but very awkwardly shaped window and wants to know how to make it more private. She says we have a double height atrium in our new home. The light it brings is one of the reasons we fell in love with the house, but it's south facing. So not only is it very hot, we are also feeling the need for more privacy. And for listeners, it's a sort of tall window with a triangle on top. I mean, I would describe it almost as a sort of modern Gothic church window type thing. But Leaving the shape aside for a moment, privacy can be an issue for all of us unless you live in the middle of a field like Sophie. Although, Sophie, you have installed a massive window slash French doors in your bedroom. Do you run around in the nude? Actually, don't answer that. Just talk to us about privacy blinds.
1: Nobody needs to see that on their 6am dog walk in the morning, I don't think. This always makes me, an equal part, really angry and frustrated, but then also makes me chuckle. <laughs> Architects who love to put a big, oversized, fancy, triple-height moment of a window in a building. A
0: moment of
1: a window? It's a I moment. Like that. They're creating a moment, aren't they, of like, ta-da! And I am looking at Charlotte's window, and it is gorgeous. It goes from the floor, all I mean, it looks like it's a double-height one, probably in a hallway, all the way up to the ceiling, and you've got an amazing view of what looks like probably their driveway. I can see the lane outside their house, and then acres of sky. So I bet it looks great. But the amount of people who then end up going, we want the privacy or we want to control the light. And it's really hard with these types of windows because the top of the window is an apex. You can't hang a blind or a curtain pole at the top.
0: But the other thing that came, even with windows of decent shape, I had two posts on the blog, which obviously started the blog in 2012. And these two questions came up again and again for the entire 12 years I was running it. The first one, no surprise, how to get the right shade of grey paint. That was a post that was the most visited. The second most visited post was... Can I, should I, could I put curtains on my bifold doors? Mm-hmm. And so, again, that was another thing. People replaced the back of their kitchen with these huge bifold doors and then immediately felt it was too hot because it was south facing. So you turned it into a into a greenhouse or they wanted more privacy because you've just got that sort of black space into the garden or whatever. And it was an interesting question because our bifold doors, we at the time installed them so that. They were really big and took up all the space. And that meant actually there was no available space to hang any curtains. I know, and the
1: really fancy bifold doors, um, which cost even more money, are the ones that go all the way up to the ceiling. So you can't even put yeah. a track or a pole above them. And again, that's something architects love to do take the window all the way up to the ceiling because it looks really swishy. But you're right. If you want to control the light, you can't. And then you're right, Kate, at night when it's just black out there the room feels really chilly and not very cozy well and I just
0: think it feels a bit spooky and one of the most valuable other pieces of advice I was given was if you do have that going slightly off topic from Charlotte's privacy here is that you must have lights in your garden so that if you're sitting there at night, you're not looking at a black void, but you've got a few lights lighting up a tree or just creating some pretty sculptural shapes and creating something to look at. So that's point number one. Mm. But we should wrestle ourselves back to the privacy. Well, I
1: feel like all we've done is jumped on Charlotte's bandwagon and moaned about big windows that you can't <laughs> do. She's actually She's actually coming for some solutions now. Okay, so there's a few solutions I have for you, Charlotte. With your particular window... Uh, Being in a hallway. So you're not sitting there in the evening feeling chilly, I would imagine. I'm wondering whether you could consider some window film. It's something we thought about in my mum's annex. My mum's got really big windows here in her annex. And this is another thing to think about. When we first moved in, my mum felt really vulnerable. She thought everyone could see her, everyone was going to be turning up with popcorn, sitting in our front drive, watching her watch her telly inside. I mean, she was just like really paranoid about it. And we looked at getting some window film. It's like your car window film. So you can see out, but people can't see in.
0: It doesn't stop the light as well.
1: And it doesn't stop the light. Exactly. So that's something that you might consider just to get rid of the privacy thing. So from the outside, your windows will look slightly mirrored whether you want that look or not. The second thing I do is you could do what my mum did and just never get round to doing anything. And then you actually kind of forget about it and it all feels very normal. And you realise nobody is actually staring at you through the windows and it's all fine. You could try that. The other thing about the window film as well is you can get solar uh, window film, which will help control the heat. If it is a really hot window, again, these really big windows that are all the rage, Can make the house feel like a real hot box. My mum didn't put solar film on her windows in the end, but she's got solar lined blinds. So in the summer, she can drop her blinds and that helps keep the room cool. So that's just a few things about big windows privacy solar gain. Charlotte, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't got a window treatment um, looking at the picture you sent in there is nowhere to fit a track or a blind or anything with that window so I think film might be something for you.
0: I think I agree because my first instinct was, which might work for other people with an awkwardly shaped window is you could, you know, ignore the triangle because that's so high no one's looking in at that bit but would you put, for the sake of argument, a cafe curtain across but that's too rustic for the look of this particular window. Very I think if you live isn't it? very modern it is. Mm. I think if you live in an old house and you've got an arched window or you've got a round window, haven't you, in your sitting room, then I think you can do the cafe curtain, well perhaps not on a round one, but that is so straight lined and architectural that I think window film
1: So Charlotte's window is a very particular problem. Just moving on, just for other listeners who might be struggling to dress really, really big windows that don't have domes, arches or pesky little triangles on the top of them. Architectural moments. (laughs) Architectural moments. I think it's an architectural moment. that we can't hang (laughs) our curtains on. You know, there are a few (laughs) things to think about with those really huge, like you said, Kate, those big bifold windows, because traditionally curtains don't always work because you need a lot of space left and right to bunch them up there might not be room for a big curtain pole overhead and also sometimes curtains don't look right on a very very modern extension or piece of architecture so you can get these like sliding panel blinds are worth looking at roller blinds that come down from the ceiling get them on an electric circuit because usually you have loads of them and you'll be like wee willy winky of an evening closing (laughs) closing all the thousands of windows and blinds Nightshirt optional absolutely (laughs) Absolutely. So that's what I'd recommend. Get um, very neat, tailored, minimal blinds. I'd match them in with the wall colour. They're not a decorative feature. They're just a practical thing. Get them on an electric controller. Job done. So next up is Georgia, who's just bought a barn with permission to convert it into a dwelling. Here's what she's got to say. It's a traditional L shape and the main wooden barn will be an open plan kitchen, dining, sitting area and the bedrooms will be in the stable block. I have only ever lived in a terraced house where the layout is pretty defined. I'm rather intimidated about how to get the interior of this cavernous space to work well. The furniture will have to be room divisions, rugs will be really important to defined areas and without walls there will be limited storage and space for hanging pictures. What would your approach be to open plan design and what are the pitfalls? I do also want to be true to the barn's roots as an agricultural building without being twee. I do love bright colours, prints and fabrics. How can I do hay barn meets house and garden? <laughs> what a lovely problem to have, Georgia! Oh, sounds great. I'm absolutely loving it. Well,
0: I'm just going to go in first before you get into... Shall we
1: your... do the layout first? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I think you've basically got it absolutely right, Georgia. It will be furniture as room divisions. I'm guessing as it's a barn that you will have really good height. So you can have, you know, really tall pieces of furniture, tall screens or bookcases... Um, I mean, you don't necessarily want to shop at IKEA, or you might. But IKEA have those those bookcases which you can access from either side. It's like a series of cubes, so you can then see through them. So they're not blocking the light. You can have, you know, books on some, ornaments on others. Some can just be open. And absolutely, rugs are key. You're going to have to get big rugs because that's that's kind of the outline of your room. The limited storage and and picture hanging spaces. Is that the choice you make when you live in an open plan
1: space? Yeah, so you get this heightened feeling of light and space, don't you? I mean, like you say, it feels cavernous. But the cost is, yeah, there aren't any walls to hang your pictures or to put your bookcases up against. So, yeah, you're right, Kate, absolutely. Freestanding bookcases as room dividers are really good and also an opportunity to display bits and bobs which we'll get onto in a minute how we do this hay barn meets house and garden look um and then and I think as well softness the other thing I would say and interesting about your Ikea point is I think you're gonna have to go large scale twiddly little pieces of furniture aren't going to work in this room you've got to like muscle up to the architecture of this barn if you like so think about as well having a few oversized Pieces. It might be like an oversized floor lamp. Um, we've already talked about really big rugs. You might have like a really big um, snuggler armchair rather than a little petite armchair. I did a makeover for Dream Home Makeovers Channel 5. We did an enormous school conversion. So quite a similar type problem. The walls were four meters high. The windows were massive. The client wanted a full-sized pool table in there well that solved a problem because that filled up half the room
0: didn't you paint it black to try and bring the walls in a bit I
1: mean that was that was that was almost counterintuitive yeah yeah you want to try and well they wanted to make it feel a bit more snug it was just all very white and stark in there but I got like the absolute biggest modular corner sofa that I could find this thing was absolutely huge I think it was three meters by four meters and it was like one and a half meters deep Um, and it just really anchored the room because I think little bits of furniture just tend to look like they're just floating around on a pond
0: I think Well, also one of the things you may find in this instance is it may be difficult to shop for vintage furniture. I mean, you don't say what your taste is, but traditionally vintage furniture, you know, it's little sofas, little bedroom chairs. That's going to get lost. I mean, you you know, you need and you can have fabulous, as you say, big, modular sofas. You want to look perhaps to salvage yards for for furniture where you might find you know an old art school table or stuff that's been cleared out of schools and restaurants that might be bigger scale than sort of house clearance, which which would belong to the sort of terrace house, which is a bit smaller.
1: Yeah, go large. And the same with your lighting as well. We hung a pendant light over the coffee table, but it was absolutely enormous. So again, you've got to think of your ceiling height as something to tackle. And so, you know, if you can get a really big chandelier in there, that will really help too. And I think you
0: can hang them low because you'll presumably have incredible ceiling height. So, you know, you can bring the ceiling down a bit, uh, with with low lights. And, and one thing I would say, Georgia, is those of us who live in smaller houses, particularly the old Victorian Terrace, we do tend to feel that we've got to put the furniture around the edges because there isn't room necessarily to have it in the middle. In an open plan space absolutely stick the furniture in the middle, you know, have space around the back of it. So have a big rug with the sofa and chairs on it and let the sofa have its back to other bits of the room. Bring the chairs in cosier to create a more sort of intimate space around a coffee table and allow, you know, someone to walk around the back or have a console table, you know, just... Don't put furniture around the edges because you'll make it. That's how you'll end up making it feel cavernous.
1: You know, one way to tackle it, actually, with your floor plan. So if you can if you can do a measured drawing of your floor plan and actually start drawing out the furniture layout on there, what you'll realise quite quickly, Georgia, actually, is that there are going to be areas that would act like a hallway in a regular house. If you could imagine, you know, your regular terraced house, you take all the walls out that's kind of like your open plan space isn't it and then just imagine putting the walls back in so you know I would yeah very much put the sofa where you think the walls would have been even though there aren't any walls and then actually you need like a meter and a half of walkway around all this furniture so you start eating up the space chunking through the space really really quickly. Probably
0: you going to find it's too small.
1: <laughs> yeah I think that's what you've got to do you've got to get the paper and pen out I'd say Georgia and I think you'll stop feeling so overwhelmed and realise that there is some sense to all of this. If you can imagine where the walls would be.
0: There will be obvious passages. So when you come in the front door, there will, you know, as you look at your floor plan, there'll be an obvious route to get to the kitchen. There'll be an obvious route to get to the back door or other doors. So there will be sort of paths that will will reveal themselves
1: and yes put the don't put the furniture in what's the obvious path between two spaces really important and that'll help the room have flow as well definitely because you want to be able to feel like you can move through the space effortlessly without tripping over coffee tables. Oh, excellent chat. Gosh, we're so clever, Kate, aren't we? I love it when we get a question like this that makes us look so clever. Well, now this is your bit. How does she do hay barn meets house and garden? I know. I love this because Georgia, as you say, pitfalls. Woo-hoo, there are a many cliché that you could fall into here. And I love the idea that you do want to be true to the barn's agricultural heritage. Love that. I think it absolutely could take bright colour prints and fabrics, but you can't do a pastiche. You know, we're not going to be hanging pitchforks on the walls, are we, Georgia? And covering everything in plaid um, and getting kind of like farm machinery made into coffee tables. I don't think we need to go down that route. I think you can very much express your own personal style. You don't really go into what that is, but I think, you know, obviously you've got, uh, a particular love of particular colours, prints and fabrics. So own those and use those, whatever they are. What I'd say, again, it probably feeds into me talking about the scale of things. Just make sure everything feels quite robust and substantial, I think. I don't think you're going to be putting twiddly little sort of like French antiques in there. No,
0: and I think you want big... Your Your fabric's probably got to have quite big patterns. But I think you can reference... You know, there are two sorts of open plan spaces. There's the urban one, which is the, you know, the warehouse conversion, the industrial one where you might be a bit more sort of stainless steel and naked light bulbs. And then there is the country one. So there's your hay barn. So, you know, you don't say where it is, but what what was perhaps growing in the fields around you? You know, if you want prints and fabrics, can you look to those colours? You know, is it a poppy field or a bluebell wood or can you bring in, those sorts of fabrics and colours, which which will anchor your hay barn, in its environment and bring a little bit of that, you know, its location
1: inside. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Yeah, reference the flora and fauna that is actually. Outside, When you say hay barn, I've got a feeling you might be from America because we don't call them hay barns here in the UK, do we? Oh,
0: this is a whole different, I don't know. (laughs) I'm lost now.
1: (laughs) But that's it. I suppose you get hay barns all around the world. And we do have an international listenership, Kate. I'm just taking a nod to that. So we don't want to presume uh, that it's bluebells outside your hay barn. It might be something else. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, bring that in. And then again, just use all the country house motifs. You absolutely can, you know, rugs and decorative lamps ceramics it's all good because it isn't a barn at the end of the day you are making a home and i think the architecture will stand for itself
0: there we go i hope that helps georgia now we come to rachel who recently bought her forever home on the west coast of ireland right listen up sophie we have a location the West Coast of Ireland, she says, I bought every book and magazine and watched every TV show on interiors for a Victorian house. To say my brain was fried is an understatement. Then I found the podcast and over the last year I have listened to every episode while cooking dinner. I have now colour drenched my bedroom in a cocooning hague blue. My sitting room is green smoke with a pink ceiling leading into the dining room which is in Chira, a sort of paler smoky blue. I have vintage lights, rugs and furniture, a brass bed and side tables from eBay and Etsy. Things I would never have thought of doing before your podcast. But now I'm stuck with the pesky middle room. I want to keep it as a dining room for hosting, but also use it as a library and music room. There's a picture rail, but no cornicing. How high should my shelves go or how low? Should it be all shelves or shelves with cupboards below? Is that tidier? And also I have some beautiful silk vintage curtains. So this is, I think, actually a question about a multitasking room. Possibly if it's a traditional... Victorian house you don't say oh you do say it's a Victorian house so the middle room is traditionally dark might not have any windows so you've got to make multitasking in a dark room so I would think the first thing you need to look at really closely is the lighting because you need to work out what you're doing and when when it's a dining room you might want a low lit central light over the table when it's a library you might not want that you might want wall lights to show off the bookshelves or you might want lamps when it's a music room I think this is this is a room where the lighting is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting to make it functional
1: oh yeah absolutely I'm just I'm still slightly in entranced by this whole picture that Kate's painted of her home does can we take credit for all of this because it sounds it sounds lovely
0: doesn't it I'm very into the
1: into the greed smoke and the
0: pink ceiling and all these silk vintage curtains yeah
1: yeah Oh, I know and all the little brass details, it sounds so inviting and lovely. So yeah, Kate, you've absolutely nailed it. Lighting is going to be key to creating the atmosphere here. I mean, my sort of inclination, you already quite like a dark um, colour palette with your Hague blue and your Inkyra blue, those very deep, far and ball blues. So I'd be kind of like, in terms of colour palette, wanting to go that way too, which will really make the lighting, you know, really be the star of the show. But then you've got this question, picture rail, but no corner sink. I don't see that as a massive problem but how high should my shelves go and how low should there be? All shelves or shelves with cupboard below, is that tidier? I mean I kind of feel like what's the job the shelves are doing? Is this a big bookcase that you're putting in? Do you need lots of cupboards because you've got lots of clutter that needs tidying away or do you just want a few shelves to display some beautiful bits and bobs? I think you need to get back to the purpose of the shelves and then you'll know what to do. So like a wraparound library of wall shelves, I think would be lovely and cocooning, but then you've got to have the books to go on them. I'm looking at my
0: shelves, which go, they definitely go down to the floor, and I've gone slightly over the picture rail, but not quite up to the ceiling. And the reason for that actually turned out to be quite a practical reason. We worked out the height of the shelves we needed, um, and we have quite a lot of, sort of they're not quite coffee table books they're not as big as coffee table books but hardback reference books I guess so our shelves needed to be the right height to fit those in and I wanted the shelves the same height all the way up so we got to a point where I think I've got seven shelves and it went slightly over the picture rail so the shelves have been cut in around it and go slightly higher so there may be Rachel just a practical answer is, you know, if you were to go up to the ceiling, you might end up with shelves which are too big for the book, or you might have a funny little narrow shelf left on the top. So I think there's an element, as Sophie says, come back to your purpose. What are you putting on these shelves? And, you know, how big do the shelves need to be in order to have that? And you had, didn't you, Sophie, when your kitchen was your sitting room, you had shelves for books and you very deliberately put cupboards on the bottom half because you had to store toys and games for when Arthur was younger. I
1: have just had open shelves because I don't have to have any of that. It's just books, so it's it's purpose. Yeah, it's really interesting, that isn't it? I had loads of cupboards in our old living room. You're right, and actually, since we've done our recent rejig and renovation, I've only got one small cupboard now for the odd ball game, that board game that we uh, pull out at Christmas. Their toys get smaller and smaller the bigger they get. There is
0: something really stunning about floor-to-ceiling shelves. I think it looks really impressive. And actually, in the last house, we had floor-to-ceiling shelves and we just put all the board games on the bottom shelf. So they weren't, they weren't, and, and, you know, let's be honest, if it's board games you're storing, they do work that, you know, they're in rectangular boxes. You can pile them up. If you've got toys, you can get really great sort of baskets that fit on shelves if your shelves are deep enough from Ikea, from Muji. So you can put toys in those I mean, that's the other thing to consider is, is the depth, because I think my shelves are about 25 centimetres, which I think is a sort of magazine depth. So that works quite well, but it wouldn't work if I wanted to store boxes of Lego and small toys. So I'm just going to say it again. It's your purpose. Mm,
1: very, very good advice. Now we come to Denise. Now, Denise writes to us with an interesting dilemma she recently moved house and is decorating her sitting room and she doesn't want dark and she doesn't want yellow base colors like cream taupe or beige etc this is what she says you ask how do I want to feel while I'm in there well firstly I don't care about other people's wow factor they can all hate it I care about me (laughs) And I want it to be serene and welcoming and warm. Now, I have just bought a beautiful oil painting by an artist I love, and I shall never spend this sort of money again. And I want it to have pride of place over the marble fireplace and wood burner. The question is, how do I take inspiration from it without looking like I matched everything to it? I need to buy everything. So perhaps the painting isn't the starting point. Yikes! oh denise. isn't that a great question i just love that i don't question. care about other people's wow factor
0: this is my room <laughs> and i want to feel greater and i think you know we should all be a bit more denise shouldn't we i think it's brilliant. And I, I thought it was particularly interesting because, you know, we often talk about using a using a picture as a starting point or a scrap of fabric. But as she says, she doesn't want to be too matchy-matchy. So, Sophie, I,
1: you know, kick us off with this. So, Denise, let's get into this. Now, very helpfully, you have sent in a picture of your painting, which I will attempt to describe for our lovely listeners. It is a palette of really beautiful blue tones, kind of like a stormy seascape. I'm seeing the sky is filled with clouds that are sort of like deep navies and blues and greys. It's a chink of light trying to break through. There's a headland off in the distance and there are kind of frothy waves crashing on the shoreline. But it's very soft and watery and I suppose I'm making it sound a bit more dramatic than it is because it's quite a washed out subtle painting but it's moody and it's moody blues and I am here for it Denise and I think it's brilliant that you've invested in it and it's kicking off your scheme. Now when we talk about everything matching the painting. If you were to match everything to this painting, you'd be painting in a palette of cool blues and greys. There's a little bit of black and charcoal coming through there too. And I don't think that that's what you wanna do. You talk about creating a serene, welcoming, and warm room, and these are all quite cool colors. But the good news is if you decorate with a softer, warmer, more neutral color palette, this painting will remain the hero in the room and really pop against that lovely mantelpiece where you're going to hang it. So I don't think I'd necessarily be looking to match paint colours to this painting, I'd be putting something softer in the background. Now, that's up to you. Are you more of a cool grey neutral? Well, she says she doesn't want yellow,
0: doesn't she? So we've got to steer clear of that. Yeah, you don't
1: like the creams, taupes, and beiges. Okay, so I'd go to more of your grey colour palettes for your neutrals. I think that would look really nice. You could go for a really dark colour and do like a charcoal type grey wall and create a very kind of like cocooning restful space or you could take the color up lighter that's personal preference but then what I'd probably do was would pull out some of these beautiful blue tones I mean there's even little flicks of cobalt blue in here too and I'm also seeing slight undertones of like violet purple colors it's a really a. Amid- this is what's so fascinating about an artwork the more you look at it the more you see different colors coming through and these sorts of violet purple more electric blues could come out in fabrics and accessories and lampshades and ornaments and it would just tie the painting in without everything matching. Once you start to avoid the yellows you see I was wondering
0: whether you wanted a grey that was more of a brownie a sort of moley colour but you might find that too yellow too beige but you can go towards the pinks or possibly even I mean it's a colour that's coming through and I despite myself now rather like it that sort of lavender Lilacy lilac-y lavender colour, which, you know, the lavender version is a kind of bluey purple. But it's a dusky greyed off colour as well, isn't it? It's not a sugary colour. But it might look fantastic with that painting against it, actually. And then you could, you know, have blues in your furniture and, and
1: you know, deeper colours like that. Yeah, you could have like a really deep midnight navy velvet sofa, a dusky lilac-y lavendery grey wall, powdery. And then chrome and silver, I think, would be your metallic to go with this scheme.
0: I think the point is, you know, we often talk about, you know, find yourself a starting point, whether it's your wardrobe, you know, a bit of fabric, a picture you like. I think that's absolutely a good place to start, because if you've bought the painting or inherited the painting and love it enough to hang it, however you come by it, you are clearly drawn to it for the picture, but also one's got to assume for the colours. Therefore, that is going to be a colour scheme you like. And because, as Sophie said, you look at that painting in the first instance and you think, oh, that's a blue painting of the sea, in the same way that you look at pavement and think, oh, that's grey. And once you start to look at them more, there are so many other colours in there. So you you come up with a whole palette and range of colours in lights and darks that are... Truly inspired by the painting and doesn't look all matchy matchy, so you know I think it it is a really
1: good starting point. Gorgeous, absolutely love that, Denise. Thank you so much for that question. Thank you for sending in the picture too. We'll share that with our insiders so they can see what we've been talking about because it's a really great jumping off point. And that's the thing is artists are absolute masters of color. They put together mouth watering color palettes, so it's a brilliant idea to use it to jump off a decorating scheme. I love that. So that completes this week's style surgery for the main podcast. But if you're enjoying listening to this episode, well, you can become an insider and listen to even more because we've got an extra set of questions for our bonus content for our insiders who sign up at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. We love our insiders. They support the show. They help me and Kate make even more episodes. So this extended bonus episode is for them. We'll be back next week, so all that remains is for us to thank our sponsors Natural Mat. To learn more about Natural Mat's organic beds, mattresses and bedding, head to their website at naturalmat.co.uk or visit one of their showrooms in London, Knutsford, Devon and the Cotswolds.
0: Natural Mat are delighted to offer The Great Indoors listeners 10% off their first order by using the code THE GREAT INDOORS either online or in one of their showrooms. Valid until the 30th of April 2024.
1: That just leaves me to thank our producer Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective and of course to you, our lovely listeners. And
0: we'll see you in the great indoors.